this is not the time for order takers. You have to step up and be an authority in the sales process and take a lot of ownership in progressing the deal further, creating that tension and educating them. That's right. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's sales strategy and enablement podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcock from Revenue.io, and I'm thrilled to have with me today our very own Maria Bras, Director of Performance Consulting. Maria is just a pleasure to work with for those that have not had the chance to ever interface with Maria you know, for the better part of a decade now, a quick young decade, Maria. But a, a, you know, more than that, you know, has been an influencer in, in sales voice on LinkedIn. I think you'd be one of the top in 2023 on that side. You, know, you have assessed and helped with quite literally millions of conversations with our client bases and at other companies as well. And now a revenue IO really helping clients with the performance consulting side and, and frankly, just better conversations. Maria, we are so happy to have you with us. How are you doing today? So well, I'm embarrassed making me blush. Uh, all those kind words. Thank you so much, Alice. Very I'm super excited to be here now that I'm talking to you. Now, Maria, we always saw the news of the week, and the news that popped up this week that I want to kind of run by you is this is actually from uh, G2. Okay. And G2 just released their latest sales enablement statistics, and inside there, they are discussing pipeline stalls. And pipeline stall is a very real thing. I'm like. We hear it a lot amongst companies worldwide right now. They're like, hey, we're, we're getting things. It's just not closing what we expect. And their data is saying that 58% of pipeline stalls are because a rep is unable to add value. Now, I love this statistic. It's provocative. It's interesting. Yeah. I think adding value is a big statement. What does that mean? But when you hear that, Maria, and you think of conversations is that accurate? Would you disagree with their assessment? Do you think that's right? Those statistics, like, what, what's your thoughts when you hear that? Yeah, I mean, J2 is a pretty credible source, so I, I believe them there. Uh, and it's something that we're hearing in conversations with our customers and what we're hearing in the market. So I absolutely agree. I believe it. It's so difficult, right? And also being a seller myself from experience, I, I know that that's a, a challenging thing to do, especially for someone who's not necessarily in market that we have to have conversations with and, you know, pique their curiosity and make it a good use of their time to show up to these meetings. So I absolutely understand what that looks like. And um, it's shifted so much. I think the best sellers right now are having to really go back to the drawing board and go back to those, those fundamental skills of sales and just having conversations with other humans to find out you know, doing better discovery, showing up with a perspective based on a lot of research that you've done, knowing their buyers really well in their world. Because I think, I think what's causing that is a lot of this surface level discovery, finding out how they're getting the job done, but not really going any deeper than that to build a really compelling business case to move forward. Yeah. And I, I think you're right, Marie. And I'd love to dive in on this episode to do how do we solve that? Like, how do we actually help them have a better conversation? Yeah. Because I think you know, when, when I see statistics like that from G2, I don't disagree with them either. But I think it, we often end those things with, okay, well, people are having bad, you know, they're not adding value. But w what is value? And and uh, and I'll give you an example of one. And I'm, I'm going to cite uh, Gardner here and some of the, when I was at Gardner, some of the buyer research and things like that that we did. And in Gardner's line of business research, 
Okay. So when you are selling to a line of business, 92% of line of business buyers need to build a business case to invest in technology. So now I don't think again, is that overly surprising to me? No, but then are we actually setting our sellers up to know when to build a business case, how to build a business case and, and whether a revenue IO and as a gardener, I'll tell you what I saw all the time. People would say, well, no, we build a business case. Absolutely. It's how we close the deal, right? We give the ROI analysis to close it off because it's got to go to the CFO and, and that'll get it across the line. But what everybody misses is that line of business case isn't, isn't happening then. It's happening right at the, at the very conversation and it's probably started before as a seller you even got into the conversation. Yeah. Because as a buyer, I am already assessing the market. I'm already knowledgeable of what's going on. I am trying to see, can I solve this problem? And if I can, is it worth me then spending time with vendors or should I build it internally? What's that look like? So, so really anchoring on very front end, fast, quick mechanics around helping the buyer buy and helping them with a business case at the front of the funnel is, is one small little tactic but would be a fairly seismic tweak to most sales reps. Yeah, I, I'm I'm 100% with you. And we're in a phase two where it's like our champions, our buyers that we're having conversations with, they're revenue sales leaders. Like they they know how to sell internally, but we still have to arm them with, with that cost of inaction and return on their investment. And they happen at different parts of the sales process, right? So that takes really good discovery. That, that takes asking those, great follow-up questions, two, three levels deep, it creates, um, you have to create tension, right? With with the questions that you're asking to really make that, drive that urgency and, and arm them with the information that they need post-meeting. So I think like typically what sellers do is like they just send them a whole bunch of links, a whole bunch of information. That buyer, that champion of yours, they don't need more information. They have enough of that. Like you have to curate those, those different points for them to help guide those internal conversations that are happening without you. And ideally, you're part of those conversations, but you can't be a part of all of them given our remote working environment that we're in right now, especially. It's, it's a really interesting point, Maria. And when I think of your buyer journey maps, again, I think we often see those in marketing. I don't often see them as succinctly linked to then the sales methodology or the sales stages. So you tend to have marketing goes and builds it and enablement goes and builds buyer journey maps. Say, well, I got all the content for each of these stages, but it doesn't translate over, right? It's all used on front of the funnel. It isn't used all the way through the funnel in the right way. Yeah, no. And I think you're hitting on a really important point of what is your content strategy and not marketing content, sales content. Yeah. This supports the buyer at each critical stage of what they need. And, I, and I'll give another example of this. In mid to late stage buying, so if you had a five stages, roughly stage three going to stage four, somewhere in there, 67% of the time, security is overlooked by the buyer and the seller. Okay. Now, a lot of people listening will go, no, 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 hold on. We're very good. We always send the customer, hey, here's our sock compliance, GDPR compliance. We tell them that our product, we did that right at the beginning. We told them that we are compliant. That's why we're in this deal. Yeah. That's not what I'm referencing. Think of late stage buying 
And, and let's assume people are selling a technology just for the use case here. I, our audience certainly sells more than technology, but I'll just use that as the example. Sure. Uh, when deploying a technology in an enterprise today, so if I'm going into an auto manufacturer selling a technology, late stage buying, that technology is going to have a causality on other systems. And that CIO and CISO at that company are going to want to know what the security compliance implications are not at the product, not as it's secure. What's it going to do to everything else that is in place? And that seller needs to help their buyer navigate that conversation proactively because otherwise they go up to IT and IT is going to say, uh, this is dead on arrival. We are not adding anything into our environment because we don't want that. And they're like, but it's compliant. It works. Yeah, but it's an ripple effect on a bunch of other things that we have. And that's a no-go. 67% of the time, people just don't address that. The buyer doesn't, the seller doesn't. So coach our sellers, how do they add value? They don't have to have all the answers. They just got to forewarn the buyer, hey, you should probably be proactive and go have this conversation. And as you find out the requirements, why don't we have a discussion? And I'll tell you what I've experienced with 20 other enterprises and how that was dealt with. Yeah. That's very different than selling. It's enabling the buyer. Thoughts? Absolutely. And Gart, going back to, to your back with Gartner, there's a stat out there that there's been a 30% decline in customers being able to come up with a decision right in the process. So we worry so much about our competitors and things, but like our biggest, biggest competitor is lack of urgency and no decision and sticking with the status quo. So I think buyer enablement absolutely is the number one way that we can compete against no decision. And, and help them get the deal done from a technical perspective if you're selling software, but also like how to navigate those those internal conversations with all of the different stakeholders that it can touch. You, you mentioned something on this earlier, and I want to loop back a little bit because you're, you're so right in terms of what you just said, but what about things like tension? What about like how, how do we you know, motivate the buyer? And I think there's, you, you, when you're running sales teams or you're helping our companies that are running you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of sellers, you know, there's always a little bit of motivation you want to try to drive to the buyer side. But thoughts, suggestions, like what, what are you doing on tension and other things to help progress the buyer? Yeah. So I actually just had a conversation like this with with uh, my mentor, Amy Rehovic, and she was telling that's the, different, the main difference between persuading and influencing, right? So we want to like influence them in that direction. And the best way to do that is through discovery and creating that tension through the discovery questions that we ask. So maybe it's an inbound lead that comes in, they sign up for a demo, they say, yes, we're evaluating this, that, and the other thing. And like taking that at face value, like that's the pain. Oh, they need this piece of technology, right? Well, it's like, well, what are they trying to solve in this evaluation? What was that moment in time that they realized that something needed to be done? Right. The, the problem is that we hear that we get super excited as salespeople are like, yes, we've got an inbound lead. They're, they're shopping like less than three percent of our marketing is shopping right now. We're, we've got it. We're talking to this person. We're, we get excited about that. But that can be really damaging. I've been there. I'm, I'm not passing any judgment because I've definitely learned this the hard way. But from there, you really need to dig, dig further and push them into, well, why now? What happened? Like, when was that moment in time you realized what does that impact? for you specifically, for the business overall, and really get down into those follow-up questions. And if you, even if you don't know that specific question to ask, you could just ask, like, tell me more about that. Can you explain 
that scenario where you're faced with it. And I think that's really where that urgency can be created. So it's not persuading, hey, buy our product. We're so great. You all really need this. This is all the benefits that you're going to get from that. It's really helping them connect the dots to what happens if they do nothing and who else is impacted. What does that mean for their world? And if you you get there, then you're in a really good place because the majority of the sellers aren't doing that. Yeah, I agree. And 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 one of the things, Maria, on there, what I really like is you're thinking through questions that help the buyer navigate things, and that's that's really important for buyer enablement, right? So, you know, if I was to map this with a company, what I would tell you is, what are the common questions the buyers are going to have during their journey? So not what a, don't just think of it from our sales group lens, but think of the vertical industry and think of the persona we're talking to and what are the common questions they're going to have. So for instance, at a top of the funnel, front of the funnel type of thing, right? When, when companies are out there trying to find, you know, they're, they're probably at an inspiration exploration stage, right? They're going to go see is, can, is this a problem I can solve? Is it worth pursuing? And really what the person is trying to say there is, as a buyer, I'm trying to value, man, I wonder if I should change whatever it is I'm currently doing. Should I prioritize this over probably what is five or six other priorities that they have? Yeah. How would I improve it? And boy, I wonder if anybody else is doing this. It's like me. Those are simple. Those are just top of the funnel pieces, but those are basic examples of questions that all of us can go, hey, help the buyer with those questions. And then you get into, you know, they're just move that along into evaluation. Now they've kind of said, okay, there are others doing it. This probably is a top priority. And I think I can probably solve this problem. So now they're into, okay, options. What are the, what's available out there that I can actually go get? So this is now where the vendor typically comes in. All right. So that first stage, you usually not so vendor involved. That's Essentially, before that happens, it's going to be your marketing, that's going to be your messaging outbound, that's going to be your SDRs driving all of that. But now you're into an actual discussion evaluation. And what the buyer's trying to figure out is okay, how should we change? Don't tell me what you did, what you do. How would we change? Because I got this problem. Is this product going to work relative to that? And what approach is best? Yeah. Because there's different approaches, because you think of vendors in particular. They're all largely selling to a common set of problems. How they solve the problem is a little bit different. Yeah. Right? We could have a Lego kit, Maria. We both have kits. Like Legos, we step on them in our houses, I'm sure. Yes. You know, the, uh, the, you know, we could both go build a Lego castle today. And, and we both technically build a castle. But we might come up with wildly different end castles and approaches to how we built it. Yeah. Both got to the result, but they could be completely different. And that buyer is trying to figure out, well, both these vendors are telling me to build me castles, but one has a moat with alligators and a massive drawbridge and is like way too big for me. And the other one is is a princess castle that is going to fall apart and isn't there. But what's going on? Yeah. So these examples of, of buyer questions, I think is really good to ask ourselves and go, Put ourselves in that seat and go, how do I enable? Oh, yes. And you hit it spot on there with really figuring, and I, I don't think enough teams from the teams that I work with do this enough is really putting themselves in their buyer seat, putting that, that hat on, sitting at their desk, imagining what they're going through 
from a challenge, frustrating scenario perspective, right? And getting real specific about what those things are to what that looks like throughout the buyer's journey. So when we come in hot with like our messaging and we've got this number one all-in-one platform solution that's going to help you be more efficient, it's like, whoa, 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 right? Like you're giving me this, like this is, this is not the information that I need. I could get there from your website, right? What they're, what they need help with is, is like, okay, what's the perspective at that stage? What, um, that they need their perspective on the problem, right? And in helping to figure out, okay, what are my different options in terms of strategies to solve this? Now that I admit that I had one and that it's worth solving in, in the first place, right? Um, so I think we come in with our messaging about our solution way, way too soon because they first need to define what the problem is, the impact to that, that it's worth solving. And then it's like, they need to look at all of the different ways that it could possibly be solved. And then once they pick that, then it goes into the solution. But we've got, you know, top of funnel teams out here pitching solutions before a problem has even been admitted. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then it echoes through to mid funnel all the way through. You get a lot of false pipeline. Yeah. That false pipeline then adds to where we go, well, we have overconfidence on the projections, but it's false pipeline or pipeline needs a lot of more work. And what's that do? Stalls the deals. Stalls the deal and discounting, discounting too, because they try to make it more appealing, but they're solving the wrong objection, right? Like it was, it was issues in top of funnel that have trickled down what they believe to be further in the sales process when the buyer is not going through this traditional sales process that we backed out. I, I am going to resist the temptation there, but I would just say we have a whole episode on the price compression piece. You are you are exactly right. You know, when you are building the wrong aspects of your pipeline, you're you're absolutely setting your company up for a race to the bottom on margins. Yes. Right. And in an environment right now where there is more pressure than ever for companies to go, hey, actually make profits off of what it is you're selling. I cannot stress enough the understanding of effective scoping and inspection of pipeline to drive quality pipeline, not volume pipeline, to avoid whole piece. But let's do a whole episode on that. The tension piece again, because Maria, I you so well with all of these clients out there with the performance consulting and things like that, like really helping them think through you know, the questions that are going to support each stage of the funnel. Would it give you and the audience a number here as well? And I'm going to frame this as a question for you. When we look at what drives motivation and, and I'm going to change tension to the word motivation. Okay. So how do I motivate a buyer to progress? You know, often, and you think of categories like, was it things like customer satisfaction? Is it things like we, we, motivated them to change at the right time, or we happened to find them at the right time. So they showed intent and they're motivated. Or remember, we're talking about the context of a seller here. Once a seller is engaged, or is it the seller that drives decision confidence with the buyer? And when you look at those three buckets, which one do you think would be the highest impact? Decision confidence. Bingo. And not only is it the biggest one, the other two don't even register statistically in change in buyer behavior. So decision confidence, which is what Maria was talking about audience earlier around tension building and effective correlation of what is needed to drive the buyer progressionally through the funnel. You know, that that's exactly what you're talking about, Maria. I'm just using the language of decision confidence. And, you know, when you think about that, you know, you really have to 
ask ourselves, are we just focused on helping our sellers sell or are we helping our buyers buy? Because buying teams are bigger than they've ever been before. They're more complex than ever before. There's more risk assessment than ever before. And if you think you're going to build a modern sales team and strategy by simply just train, 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 here's what you do. And you don't think through the buyer context and help that buyer buy. You just aren't going to win the same rate and you're going to continue to have stalled deals. Yeah. This is not the time for order takers. Let me tell you, it is not. You have to step up and be an authority in the sales process and take a lot of ownership in progressing the deal further, creating that tension and educating them. Especially like we don't, sometimes reps don't even know if they've made a purchasing decision before. Think about someone who maybe just stepped into their first seat to buy technology for, for those of you listening, that's all technology. Like I've been there myself where I've brought things on, I've got approval on pricing, I've, I've project managed it internally at my my company. And then like you're going to Alistair before of like, IT just put a, a, a wrench in it and was like, oh, you think you think you are going to bring this into, <laughs> into like our like SOC 2 compliant landscape? Like I need this form, this form, this form, maybe you need that and this. And I was like, told my sales are, I am so sorry. I, knew, I thought this was going to be in for the month, but it's not going to be. And so I felt really bad about that as a buyer and, and you know, being in a sales sheet myself because I didn't want to screw up their pipeline. It really was on the, the the fault of the seller to give me a heads up about that. And then maybe that it would have came in for that month, uh, like if they had forecasted. Ray, I, I uh, agree. Final comment on it is this. I wholeheartedly believe this for anybody that is leading sales organizations worldwide and, and sellers in particular. It's help the buyers buy. But also as a seller recognize that you are the confidence builder with that buyer. Buyers don't buy stuff every day to your point, Maria, but people sell every day. You're an expert in how to help people navigate those steps. Just think through your experience and the steps that occur and coach that person towards them. Be their, be their advocate. Guide them towards the technical evaluations. Guide them towards the preemptive security pieces. Guide them proactively with ROI pieces at the front of the funnel, not the end. Share the pricing at the beginning, not the end. Because all of those go into the business cases, the planning is all of those things. And as a sales rep, go in with it boldly and confidently. Because you're engaging with enterprises around the world at any given day, at any point in time, and you have the context and the experience to do so. Build that muscle with the buyer. Don't beg them for time. Don't beg them for opportunities. If you are a helper and builder of buyer confidence, they will want to talk with you. And that's the key for modern sales. Maria, I have to shift us on here because I have Dave, our producer, ringing in my ear. We're running out of time, so we, we got to move on. We, we don't have anything else to do today. We can talk for now a few more hours, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey, if, if the audience wants long form episodes with Maria and I, please send it in because Maria and I carry on like this all day internally. So if, if you want to be a fly on the wall, let us know. We'll have uh, Dave do a special feature episode, maybe, Maria. That, that would be fun. I like that. Now, we always love to conclude with trivia. And this is based off, just again, more current events that have been happening this week. And look, we're in the we're in the field of artificial intelligence. It's out there prolifically everywhere. Everybody's using the buzzword nonstop. 
But just for context, Alphabet, Intel, and Microsoft mentioned artificial intelligence or AI a record number of times in their earnings calls this week. Alphabet was the big winner in the category, meaning they even made more than anyone else. Was the number 42 times to the call? 42 times or 62 times? 62 times. Winner, winner. By the way, Intel did 58 and Microsoft did 58. So they were obviously all in cahoots on what the right ratio of dropping the buzzword of AI was to uh, drive uh, apparently uh, forward-looking market confidence and where they're going. But look, it's a buzzword. It's out there a lot. I would love to have another conversation, Maria, where we talk about both the what we said on pricing compression, but I'd also the influence of AI on this because I think there's a tremendous amount there that is driving the enablement and the adoption of the things that you've coached everybody on here today. And, and I think that'd be great to have us back. Final word is yours, your moment, Maria. So what's a, what's an embarrassing moment, favorite moment? I have to tell there's enough embarrassing moments. I mean, that is, I probably had some in the last 30 minutes with you. Uh, most people know about at least one of those of mine within the company uh, and probably some listeners too. Uh, I would say my favorite moment was at one of my former employers. It was my first time building out a sales enablement program. And I had my first class of reps coming in and was super nervous because I took it as a big responsibility to prepare them for the phone, to have really great conversations, like I'm still passionate about today. And all of them booked a meeting on their first day to kick off their their first week with Pipeline. And um, it was so fun to see because we were all in the same room when it happened. And I, I think to this day, this is probably five years ago now, but to this day, it's still my favorite moment that I've had in uh, in my career. So shout out to the Boomtown team. I love it. Thanks, Maria. And for everybody else, thanks for listening in today. Please remember to like, subscribe, call in your questions. Howard and I will always do our best to get to them in the future. Maria, we look forward to having you back. Thank you for joining us as our Director of Performance Consulting and Revenue I.O., the work you're doing with these clients around the world now and helping them adopt the best practices you said today is is so valuable to them. You know, thanks for everything you're doing there. And everybody, we'll see you next week. See ya.